Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Talking Mortality podcast, the podcast that explores some of the issues and challenges around the care of patients who might be approaching the end of life. I'm Dr Calvin Lightbody, a consultant in emergency medicine working in the United Kingdom National Health Service. Today's episode is called No Pill for This Ill, Spiritual Pain at the End of Life. And I'm delighted to be joined for this conversation today by Reverend Tricia Johnson. Trisha's very kindly agreed to discuss this with me this afternoon, and Trisha is the hospital chaplain in the hospital where I work. Good afternoon, Trisha. How are you doing? Not bad at all, thanks. How are you, Calvin? I'm good, thank you. Uh, maybe you could just um, help me understand, what's the difference between religious care and spiritual care? Right, if we take it the other way around, uh, spiritual care recognises that whether an individual has a faith or not, everybody is a spiritual being. So everybody has uh, people, places, things, beliefs, understandings uh, that give them a sense of hope, that give them a sense of purpose, uh, that uh, they bring into their relationships uh, with one another, perhaps with nature. We all have a spiritual core. And... For some folk, that spiritual core is is then um, shown in a faith system. So if we go to meet with somebody, or we're asked to go and meet with somebody who says to us, I, I, I'm not religious, the conversations would be around, well, what is your own personal spiritual framework? What is it that gives you hope? What is it that gives you a sense of purpose and a sense of identity? and helping the the person, whether it's patient, family, staff member, to reconnect with that. Uh, Religious care tends to to focus on the particular rituals and perhaps sacraments and um, beliefs of a particular faith tradition. Uh, And it's, it's providing, either through the chaplain personally, um, meeting those sacramental needs, perhaps prayer needs, discussing um, concepts of that particular faith tradition's understanding of forgiveness, of compassion, of love, of guilt, uh, or it may be that the person uh, is from uh, is Muslim or uh, the Jewish faith or Buddhist, in which case we would be asked um, to to help facilitate a representative from their own faith community to come into the hospital and meet with them. Sure. Um, sure. So, but religious care tends to be tends to involve um, designated clergy uh, from a particular faith tradition, and usually sacred text and particular sacraments and rituals of that, that tradition. Okay. So I think from my understanding, I mean, certainly an, an awareness of spiritual care is something that really I've had to learn in my career in the last few years particularly. And I guess it comes down to a realisation that we're all, all of us, not just physical beings. We, Yes, we're not just a collection of organs joined together in some way with a, with a heart pumping blood <laughs> around those organs. There's a bit more to us. We have a, a physical side, sure, but we also have a psychological and a spiritual side as well. I mean, can you tell us a bit more about that maybe holistic understanding of what the self is? Yes, if you have, um, if you have, let's say, a patient who has a, a life, uh, a life changing uh, illness or accident, that, 
the medics, the nurses, the physiotherapists uh, can address the, the physical needs um, of the patient, um, medication to deal with whatever has happened, perhaps exercise to help um, the person on a, the road to recovery. But for that person, what has given them their sense of identity, what has given them their sense of purpose, what has given them their sense of hope, uh, may well have changed quite drastically. And they may not be able to see the path in front of them. They may not be able to see... They may have lost their... or have to give up their job because of whatever... Uh, the illness or the accident has been and they may not be able to see well there's all the practical implications of you know, I still have a mortgage to pay but there's also the person's identity may be tied up with whatever their, their work was, their career was or the role of breadwinner so if these issues are not addressed, if it's not helping the person to, to start identifying a new landscape um, and a new sense of purpose, a new sense of identity, uh, then that's going to impede an impact upon their physical uh, recovery. Sure. Um, because there's going to be a lot of stresses and strains going on within the person that if these are not just uh, addressed, then... Uh, yeah, I think I'm maybe like most doctors. It's maybe something that I perhaps don't think about enough. That uh, I'm maybe more focused on physical recovery and and treating symptoms and treating a, an illness. But spiritual care is about more about looking at the the whole person. Uh, and maybe maybe we need to get a little bit better at that uh, as as doctors. Yes, because if you know if you have a, pa a patient in front of you who um, you can see is physically distressed then as a doctor you would seek to um, to address that issue in whatever way is most appropriate if you have a patient who um, is in spiritual distress if that also is not um, if the patient is not given a chance to, to speak about that, to to begin to think through what is causing this concern, their anxiety, whether there's a sense of guilt, whether this is a sense of punishment, this illness, that, if that spiritual um, distress is not addressed, uh, then the patient's recovery is not... Is going to be is going to be hindered. Mm, I guess um, that, that comes down to the real rub of this podcast. I guess is that we're talking about spiritual pain here, and, and you know, the best painkillers in the world aren't going to touch that pain. But there needs to be a particular, well, first recognition, I guess, of the, this patient experiencing spiritual pain, and then thinking about how we can address that pain. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. perhaps we need to look beyond the the drug. <laughs> prescription to, to think about how to do that uh, we, you talked about hope there and I think it would be useful to explore that a little bit more again doctors perhaps focus on hope in terms of physical recovery but there's a lot more to, to hope than just that that thinking about recovery It's uh, I guess there's things about understanding and, and fears about what's happening next H how does spiritual care help address that uh, that issue of hope Within spiritual care, we have what we would talk of as sacred losses, and sacred losses are not necessarily connected to um, a faith tradition or a, a belief. But sacred losses are 
the loss of something which has been absolutely central to that individual. Uh, it may it may be exercise, it may be their their work, it may be um, interactions with with family, it may be a particular role within the family. Now, if the uh, if the illness or the accident um, has changed um, the person's capabilities, either physically, or, then spiritual care is about having a conversation with the person and allowing them the space to identify what those sacred losses are, to name them and to mourn them. Because if we're not naming them and mourning them, we're not going through a grieving process which enables us to work through that and to come into a new reality and see what the new possibilities are and what the new options are and to to come to an understanding and um, a joy, hopefully, that, yes, things uh, will be different and, yes, we've had to let go of, of some of the things which have been core to us uh, before this this event actually there are new options and there are new things that we can experience and there are new th- skills that we can develop and new interests and new ways of, of relating and being but we don't get to that point unless we actually start to address sure. um, the loss that has taken mm. place. So if we think about just taking that a little bit further and thinking about the patient who's perhaps coming to contemplate approaching the end of their life and, and, and thinking about their own mortality, is it true to say that their their worldview is very much diminished in that respect, that things maybe feel like they're closing in on them and that their their hope can, be, can, can seem very difficult? Yes, um, I mean, as a person approaches... Uh, the end of life yes they are going to their outlook and their perspective will change, there may be things which previously were very important to them um, I know, perhaps football results or political interests which you know, these interests begin to diminish because they're not going to be around for the next football season or they're not going to be around for the outcome of an, an election mm-hmm them Um, but it it doesn't there is also um, it's important still to identify what the person's hopes are uh, as they come towards the end of of their life because one of the things which from a spiritual perspective that we would want to to work with the patient and family members is for the patient to have a good death mm-hmm. and to have a good death it, it may, it's not just about controlling physical symptoms and that yeah. but it may it's giving the patient the space to identify what they want to happen before they die in terms of perhaps reconciliation with a person or a situation that um, they have carried with them and now as they come towards the end of their life they want this to be uh, to be fixed, to be sorted. It might be providing the space or the environment for the individual, the patient, family members and that, to have the conversations 
that are important to them uh, yeah. before the, the person dies. It might actually be about um, helping whoever it is that uh, we're alongside at the time recognise that they are actually wanting to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. It might be about uh, providing the space for the the individual to express guilt. Mm -hmm. uh, guilt can be a very big part. That you know, am I being punished for something? Or am my family being punished? That, or to seek or offer forgiveness. And although forgiveness is very much a term that's related um, to a, a faith belief a belief system actually it plays a big part in many people's lives um, not feeling that or feeling that they need to be able to offer somebody forgiveness or receive forgiveness for themselves yeah. for something um, yeah. so I, is it true to say the key thing here is conversation it's about actually having talking about these things it's it's about conversation but conversation that is in a safe space uh, that the the either in the patient or the family member uh, or family members feel that they are in a space where their anger can be held or their frustration can be held or their sense of disillusionment of what is going on or their sadness um, that these can all be held within that space by the chaplain yeah. uh, and that they can express exactly how they're feeling um, that they can be angry with with God with universe with whoever um, so it, it's about conversations but providing this safe space where these conversations can be yeah. held yeah. I think like a lot of doctors this is something that perhaps I'm maybe not that comfortable with um, how how can we help clinicians and doctors and the, maybe the wider healthcare staff as well who are maybe uncomfortable with this and this is something outside their comfort zone um, how, can, how can we help people to maybe recognise that spiritual pain is an issue and maybe to just try and get that conversation started. How, how, any, any thoughts on that? I think a lot of it, I think there's a lot of training involved in the sense of not, in the sense of conversations with medics, nursing, allied health professionals. Uh, because one of the, perhaps one of the biggest causes of discomfort is that as a, a doctor, as a nurse, as an allied health professional, you are there to fix something, mm -hmm. yeah, if you can. That's how we're trained, I suppose. Yep. We're trained yep. to fix things, aren't we? Yep. Yeah. So you see a problem mm -hmm. and you either look at a way to fix this problem or to manage this problem mm -hmm. or to say this can't be managed. And, and I think one of the key... Well, I think one of the key things in spiritual care is we're not there to fix. Um, it's sometimes said that uh, chaplains are the one staff group in a hospital who go to a patient or a bedside with empty hands because we don't go to do something. We don't go to take a temperature. Or, um, so one of the the first things in, in 
in conversations with medics, with nursing staff and that, is about being comfortable in the discomfort of not being able to fix something. Yes, yes, I think uh, yeah, that's going to be a big challenge because I think you mentioned fixing and I guess there's certainly this fix-it approach that we're we're taught through medical school and, and through our, our, our training as doctors that we're taught you, you find out what the problem mm-hmm. is and then you try and fix it yeah. uh, and perhaps if that isn't a problem that can be fixed then mm-hmm. we maybe need a, a way to, to deal with that um, I know, I'm maybe guilty of this myself and certainly I know a lot of doctors would rather just do the next treatment and do the next investigation because that's easier than having a conversation Yeah. how, um, how do you think we could perhaps, you mentioned training and so forth but how can we maybe make better use of your service, the chaplaincy service, if we think that spiritual pain would be an issue? Well, I think I think there's a number of things in there. I think one of the, the things is whoever the other staff group are, whether it's doctors or nurses, HPs, it's recognising what spiritual distress is. So recognising that if a patient has has just become very quiet and is not engaging... In, in conversation at all is not interested in what is happening is just closing down very quickly um, this may be a sign of spiritual distress or if the patient is, is very tearful is very distressed uh, this could be a sign of spiritual distress so first of all I think it's about recognising that there actually is this situation called spiritual distress I think one of the other things that's that's very important is for staff to recognise, because chaplaincy for so long was identified with particular faith groups, so I think now that it's a spiritual care team, it recognises that there are people of many different faiths and no faith at all. It's recognising that spiritual care has a key role for each patient, each member of staff, each family member, if they wish mm-hmm. to engage in it. So not looking for the faith-based. So if people who say, well, oh, I don't go to church, uh-huh. I don't need that. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. you would say that, yeah, that just because you don't go to church or don't have a faith, it doesn't mean that you don't would benefit from a spiritual uh-huh. attendance. I mean, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't want to force. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You will speak to the chaplain, <laughs> whether you like it or not. But I think it's, especially for staff members, if staff members themselves don't have a faith, they may not necessarily think about um, saying to a, a, a patient or a family member, because uh, if they've got in their own head, chaplains are, are faith-based staff members, and faith isn't a, a key part of their life or that, it may just not enter into their head at all that, all oh, right, this is a service that we can we can offer to the patient. So I think there's, there's training around and conversation. I think one of the easiest ways that I have found to, to share with student nurses about the role of, of spiritual care is to give case studies and describe... You know a range of scenarios. Where do you think the role of the the, the spiritual care team is in that? Um, and getting them to start looking at oh this might be going on this might this might be where there needs to be a conversation in here. 
But the other thing that that chaplaincy does, which uh, I think is just as important as the, uh, the 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 conversation and providing that space, is actually also just being there. Uh, sometimes it it a patient just wants you to be there. They don't want any conversation. They don't want any you know. Profound, profound intervention. Just be there. Just be there with them. Uh, and also things like, uh, you know, if if you have a patient who is, they're coming towards the end of their life, but this has been going on for a few days, or a week, so that sometimes it's it's important just for the chaplains to go in and say, would you like me to sit with you while you go and have a shower? Okay, so just giving that bit of time, a bit of yeah. breathing space, yeah. if you like. Yeah. yeah. But just going back to, I think I can skip over one of the questions you said there about. I think it is important for medics and that to to think of a bigger picture. So instead of let's have another round of whatever treatment, or let's have uh, increased medication dose, or whatever to be willing to engage in the conversation with the patient, family, or see what do you want yeah, in here? What's a, important yeah. to you in here? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important question, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, asking about understanding and asking about what's important, I think it's something that we really need to, to work on. Yeah, um, and, and giving folk the option to see, actually, I'm ready at this point just to to go okay. I've had enough <laughs> next Tricia can I ask your advice uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're recoiling there uh, right the situation is this I'm trying to, to to get across to the family of a patient who is clearly to me approaching the end of life and I'm explaining that the situation is just that that uh, I think we should be focusing on comfort care at this stage and we shouldn't be trying to prolong life and we're thinking that that doing that would be actually prolonging death and the family say no 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 i want you to do everything do everything you can keep them alive and you're stuck in this situation where to do what they want would be the wrong thing i think and perhaps the unethical thing how do you think or what do you think would be a good way to approach that situation where the family want everything done and it's just unrealistic or just not the right thing to do one of the things which is um, is central to to spiritual care and to the conversations is asking open questions. So what comes to mind there is then asking questions of either the family or the patient about why they want this to continue, what is it that they hope um, will be achieved, what is it that they are afraid of if they don't uh, push for for further treatment and further intervention? Because by asking the open questions, you're opening up the space for perhaps uh, people to say, I'm going to feel really guilty if I don't keep pushing. I'm going to feel that I've let down my mum, my dad, my husband, my wife. Uh, I'm going to feel that there could have been something else that I did. 
or I don't feel strong enough to make that decision on my own. Um, I'm not sure if that's what whoever the patient is uh, would want. So it's about asking the open questions which will enable the the person to express and, and share why it is that they want this to continue. It may be pressure from other family members. Yeah. So you know, if they can be reassured that you as the, the medic are happy to meet with the other family members and explain why this is not necessarily the best course of action to prescribe another round of treatment that may be sufficient or if they say they're going to feel very guilty uh, about if they say no they really feel as if uh, they've they've hastened the death of their loved one there can be a conversation around well actually this is the reality of what is, is going to happen but it also it may open up a, a pathway of a conversation to say oh yes we could do another round of whatever the treatment is that may prolong the uh, the patient's life for a period, you know, a short period of time. They're going to be in hospital. They're going to be hooked up to whatever. Um, they may not feel, you know, there may be side effects from that. They may feel rotten because of the treatment. That that is one scenario. The other scenario is that we make the person uh, we treat. Uh, their symptoms there are but enable them to have yes it may be a shortened period of time but the quality of their life they, they will be freer to have interactions with their families to perhaps do uh, you know things that they want to do before they die that actually they will be in a position sure. so you, you, you would talk about what a good death looks like yes bring that into the conversation yes and the fact that there is such a thing as a good death uh, because for many folks, that that those two words don't go don't mm. go side by side. Uh, a death is always something. Uh, you know, it must be bad by uh, default. Yes, it must be bad by <laughs> default, and it's something that you don't want. Um, and no, you don't want it, but it is going to happen. And therefore, you know, if we can do what we can to make it a good death, so that the the family will grieve well afterwards, will grieve better afterwards, and physically that they will be more resilient afterwards right. as well. Right. So ha- having that open open questions and open and honest conversation will help the family to, to let go, yeah. essentially. Yes. Uh, and that letting go is so important, I imagine, for for normal bereavement when that time comes. Yes, it's it's... I mean, we don't we don't want to say we don't want to say goodbye. You know, we that would be our natural tendency when something you know when it's been a good relationship, when it's been a loving relationship, when it's a strong relationship, or perhaps a dependent relationship. You don't want to let that go because that brings change, and change brings uncertainty, and the loss will bring sadness, and and we don't we don't want any of those of those things. Um, but it's about recognising that uh, this person is coming to the end of their life, 
even if there is another round of treatment, they are still going to be coming to the end of their life shortly after that. So what can we do? How can we work together um, so that you can have the conversations that you need to have before your loved one dies? You can perhaps do the things together. Um, I've conducted weddings for um, a couple where one um, partner is going to die fairly soon. But what they really wanted to do was get married mm. before they died. Mm. Fantastic. And we've done that at bedsides, and um, so it was about in recognising that the person is dying. What can we do to enable you to let go? Feeling that yes, there's sadness and there's loss, mm. but actually there are good memories. There are. Uh, you've done all the things or the things that realistically you could do in that time you've had the conversations that you want to have um, you've settled perhaps arguments or disputes and it is easier just to let go and to allow the person to um, to die knowing that you are their loved one um is at peace about it in the midst of all of the sadness and you know the sense of loss and but there is at the core of that as well a sense of peace. Excellent, Trish, that's, that's so helpful. Thank, thank you very much. You're very um, welcome. Perhaps, Trish, do you have an anecdote? Perhaps you could share a story, maybe that highlights that that that, uh, that kind of approach, maybe. Uh, a number of years ago, I I was asked to come and see a patient who was very distressed uh, and knew that they would in the not too distant future uh, die and since they had come back into hospital on this particular occasion had cried and cried and the, the, the staff weren't quite sure how to address this because nothing seemed to be um, settling the, the patient and I think as a last resort they couldn't think of anything else so they thought we'll call the chap <laughs> and see what happens there um, and over uh, two visits uh, it emerged that the patient had two major concerns uh, the first concern was they wanted a reassurance that their do not resuscitate instructions okay would be honoured and they wanted that, an absolute assurance of that uh, the other uh, concern that they had was related to their cat their cat, okay and this was a very beloved cat and their cat was currently being looked after by somebody who they were not convinced would be in a position to offer long term care to the cat and so the distress was around in a few months' time, is my cat going to end up in the street? And following that disclosure, uh, two friends stepped forward, two friends that the patient absolutely mm -hmm. trusted and, and had complete faith in. They stepped forward and said, we'll take the cat. And that was organised. And at that point, the person's distress disappeared. Really, gosh, the two that's things a, that's amazing, yeah. that mm -hmm. you know, were causing their distress were then addressed, mm -hmm. 
and they were then able to they weren't happy about the fact that they were dying they you know they had envisaged many more years of life and this illness had been diagnosed only months before and had been very aggressive but they were at peace knowing that the situation their own health situation could not be changed they were at peace having made you know, the arrangements for the being that was most important to them uh, and having had that reassurance that they would not be put through um, a resuscitation. Okay, so I, I guess the, her cat might have seemed something so trivial to, to, to most but was actually really pertinent and so so important to her. It is, and, and that's part of the, the space for the conversation because you would you would not necessarily think of of a cat or a dog or uh, your garden mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it comes back to what matters to you doesn't it that's it it's not for us to decide what's important <laughs> it's, no, it's no. for the patient to it's tell for us the patient, uh, and it's for the patient to have the space mm-hmm. uh, to be able to say this is what's really bothering me this is what's really upsetting me mm-hmm. um, and to know that that's going to be heard mm-hmm. and not received with a it's a cat yeah. Yeah. What <laughs> get a yeah. grip yeah. <laughs> You know, it's to actually be heard in what they're saying mm-hmm. um, and for that concern to be honoured yeah. and recognised so. yeah. that's great Trish that's, that's really helpful thank you very much Thank you. Okay, Trisha, I think we'll just uh, we'll call it uh, time there. I really appreciate your time this afternoon discussing this. It'll be quite challenging for, for some of us uh, issue. Um, so I think I've got a few things to, to, to take away and to explore, and ho- hopefully the people listening do too. So thank you very much, Trisha. Much thank appreciated. You. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Okay, so let's spend a moment to go over a few of the key points from our discussion there. We are all more than just a physical body and psychological self. We all have a spiritual self too. This is what defines our self-identity, our hopes and fears, our values and meanings in life. At times of critical illness, major life events and particularly so when nearing the end of life, our physical, psychological and spiritual selves can experience anguish and pain. In healthcare, if our focus is only on fixing the physical side, we risk overlooking spiritual pain. Acknowledging the need for spiritual care of patients can make us feel uncomfortable or somehow vulnerable, touching on some of our own issues and taking us out of our comfort zone. We need to understand, however, that spiritual pain cannot be treated with any drug and ignoring it will lead to harm. Using open questions whether with the patient or their loved ones, can help. What is your understanding of what's happening? What are the important things in life to you? What are your fears? We shouldn't shy away from using the term a good death. Finding out how to help with letting go rather than clinging on is the key here. Being at peace not just with physical symptoms, but also with our emotional and spiritual selves, is the place where a good death can happen. In all of this, the hospital chaplaincy or spiritual care team are there to help, spending time with those who need spiritual care and their loved ones. 
They are available to help support staff too, and we shouldn't be slow to call upon them and use this really helpful resource. So that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Talking Mortality. It would be great if you could leave some feedback or a review of the podcast, uh, or maybe share or send some comments to me on Twitter at CJBlue72 underscore. Thank you, and have a good day.